0: This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Centre for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net.
1: Well, let's just have a look at a, a view of the heavens. Up fairly high, but now moving a bit over towards the west, can be seen the Summer Triangle, although perhaps it's nagging getting on for autumn, isn't it? Uh, Altair in Aquila, Vega in Lyra, and Deneb in Cygnus. It's a lovely region of the Milky Way. Down to its left, and due south in the evening, is the square of Pegasus, part of the winged horse. That actually gives a nice way to find the Andromeda Galaxy, one of two. If you start at the top left-hand corner, it's called Alpha Rats. move one fairly bright star to the left, bend round a bit to another bright star, then turn through 90 degrees to a slightly fainter star, and the same distance again you should see with binoculars or even your eyes on a very dark night, the misty glow of M31, the Andromeda galaxy, the photons that are being recorded on your retina, left there about two and a half million years ago. Now, above Pegasus, again in the northern part of the Milky Way, is the constellation of Cassiopeia, a rather open W shape, and in fact the right-hand V of Cassiopeia points down, in fact, towards Andromeda. And if you carry the same distance again beyond Andromeda, you actually come to M33 in Triangulum. A little bit further along the northern Milky Way is the rather nice constellation of Perseus, with the eclipsing binary star, the demon star, called Algon. Now, that part of the Milky Way isn't as bright as that um, towards the south because we're looking out out of our Milky Way galaxy rather than in towards it. On the night sky, just night sky Jodrell, you'll find that this month I've put... The image of the month is my photograph of this part of the Milky Way taken from a very dark site in Kerry in Southern Ireland. And it shows these constellations and Andromeda and M33. And I put it there partly because there's obviously no copyright problems, which I have sometimes trouble with. But secondly, to try and point you to my Astronomy Digest, there's a link just above that picture, because there I've put a very extensive article on how that image was processed. And uh, it might be of some use to some of you. Um, There's now about 50 articles in that digest and I hope some of them could be interesting. So do join the, oh, a thousand or so people that are currently looking at it every month. So what about the planets? Well, Jupiter really is past its best. You can see it low in the west soon after sunset at the start of the month. It's shining at magnitude minus 1.8, has a disk some 32.6 arc seconds across. Its equatorial bands, sometimes the great red spot, though it's not quite so great now, and up to four of its Galilean moons should be visible in a small telescope. But sadly, of course, the low elevation will greatly hinder our view. Saturn. Well Saturn is still around, it will be visible in the southwest at an elevation of about 14 degrees after sunset at the beginning of October. Its disk has an angular size of 16.5 seconds, falling to 15.7 during the month. As that happens, the brightness also reduces from plus 0.5 to plus 0.6 magnitudes. The rings were at their widest last year, but they are still well open and span about two and a half times the size of Saturn's globe. Saturn is now moving slowly eastwards in Sagittarius, which is towards the very bottom of the ecliptic, and so the elevations are not high and the atmosphere obviously limits our view. Well, Mercury, shining at magnitude minus 0.2, with an angular diameter of about 6 arc seconds, might just be spotted very low in the west at the very end of the month. I think binoculars could well be needed, but please do not use them until after the sun has set. Look up and to the left of where the sun has set, as the angular separation from the sun is not that great. Well, Mars is now racing eastwards in Capricornus, you know it made its closest approach to Earth since 2003 at the end of July. It can still be seen in the south, shining at magnitude about minus 1.3 around 9pm at the start of October. That falls to minus 0.6 by month's end when it's due south about an hour earlier. Its angular size is 16 arc seconds. That falls to about 12 by the beginning of November. And so with a small telescope, it should be possible to spot details such as Certis Major on its salmon pink surface. From the UK, it will only reach an elevation of about 14 degrees, and there are things called atmospheric dispersion correctors that can help improve our view. There's also a superb programme called Windupos, and that's for free, and you can use that to find out precisely what you hope to see on any particular night, and of course now, The dust storm that obscured the surface in late June-July has receded. Well, Venus is not visible from the UK this month. It will be seen low in the east just before sunrise by about the middle of next month. So finally, what about the highlights? Well, as I've mentioned, it's still worth observing Mars. You can still look for details and as I said, the free program WinJupos will show you what's visible on the Martian surface. Now, two of the outer planets, the ice giants. October is a very good month to observe Uranus with binoculars or a small telescope. As it comes into opposition, that's when it's nearest to the Earth, on the 23rd of October. So it'll be well placed both this month and next its magnitude is plus 5.7, so Uranus with a disk such 3.7 arc seconds across should be easily spotted in binoculars, lying in the constellation of Aries, but close in fact to the borders of Cetus and Pisces. And the nice thing is it rises to an elevation of about 47 degrees when due south. So finding it with a small telescope, it will appear as a small turquoise coloured disk. Now, on the night of closest approach, it will actually lie up to the left of a near full moon. So that would make it easy to find, but probably actually not visible in the glare of the moonlight. And I have put a chart on the website to show you how to find it. Now, October is still a good month to observe Neptune with a small telescope. It actually came into opposition last month on the 7th. It's still well placed this month. Its magnitude is plus 7.9, its disk just 2.3 arcseconds across. So it can be spotted in binoculars lying in the constellation Aquarius up to the left of Lambda Aquarii, as I show on the chart on the night sky page. And again, it's not too bad, it rises to an elevation of 27 degrees when due south. Now, given a telescope of 8 inches or greater to aperture, And a dark, transparent night, around New Moon, perhaps on the 9th, it should even be possible to spot its moon, Triton. Well, there is a comet we could look for this month. In the early morning, it's called Comet Jacobini-Zinner. It was first discovered by Michael, or Michael, Jacobini in December 1900. Then it was actually rediscovered by Ernst Zinner some 6.5 times later. So they've given us a joint name. The nucleus is about two kilometres across. I've actually put a chart on the website that shows approximately where it is during the month. There's a nice little asterism, usually called the coat hanger, which lies between Altair in Aquila and Vega in Lara. And again, i show you how to find that on the website. On the 11th of October, after sunset, Jupiter lies below a thin crescent moon now it's going to be very low you'd need a very low western horizon probably you'd need to use binoculars but again please don't use them until after the sun has set on the 14th of october after sunset saturn appears to the left of a waxing crescent moon so if it's clear after sunset looking southwest one should be able to see saturn just over to the left and with the moon it should look quite nice On the 18th of October, Mars is close to the first quarter moon. Quite close, in fact. It might make quite a nice photo opportunity. And finally, I always do a little bit about the moon. I put up a picture I took of the full moon, and I've annotated it with the names of the moon's Maria. So it might be worth just having a look at that, so you can spot them with binoculars, or even sometimes with your unaided eyes. So we've got some darker nights now, which is great. I do hope some of them are clear. Thanks for that, Ian. And now for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's the returning voice of Night Sky South, Haritina Mogasanu.
0: Welcome to October. This is New Zealand Night Sky, and I'm Haritina Moghasanu from Space Space at Carter Observatory. It's great to be back on the broadcast with more stories and wonders of the Southern Hemisphere sky. It's been the winter of the planet here in the Southern Hemisphere and spring has continued the theme. October is still offering a great chance to see many of the fantastic planetary sights that we've become accustomed to over the winter. The start of October sees the sun setting just after 7.30 in the evening as the nights are starting to get shorter and daylight savings has made astronomers stay up an hour extra to view the night sky. The early evening sky is dominated first by Venus and then by Jupiter as darkness falls. Both of the planets start the month in Libra, with Venus heading towards the Sun in Virgo by the end of the month. Jupiter is joined by Mercury from the 27th of October for a few days, though it would be a real challenge to see very low on the horizon just after the Sun has set at about 15 degrees, so Kiwis will have to head to the coast or climb up some of the high hills to have a chance of a fleeting view of Mercury. Unfortunately, the situation is the same for Jupiter, the planet that has been with us since autumn. It's getting lower and lower in the sky and will make for challenging viewing. Marching up the ecliptic, Saturn is still in Sagittarius, and its rings are at a great tilt to view them. A modest telescope and good seeing should reveal the Cassini division. Also in Sagittarius is Pluto, though at a magnitude of 14.3, it's going to be quite a challenge to see unless you've got your hands on a bigger telescope. And even then, at around 0.1 seconds across, it's only going to look like a faint star. The dominant planet of the night sky remains Mars in Capricornus and at minus 0.7 magnitude by the end of October it's still going to be very bright and easy to spot even if you've got to put up with a lot of light pollution. By the end of October, Mars is around 114 million kilometers away, which is considerably further away than it is at the start of the month, which is 89 million kilometers, showing how fast Earth and Mars are separating. The start of the month will be great for viewing Mars, as it will still be close enough to make out some detail. That is, if the seeing is right, and the dust storm that silenced the rover Opportunity has long subsided. And hopefully, we'll hear from Opportunity by October. The evening sky has one more planet for the keen astronomer with binoculars or telescopes, and that's Neptune, the eighth planet from the Sun, which we can find in Aquarius. At 7.8 magnitude, it will be easy to spot and will appear as a very small bluish disk. Neptune is a long way away at over 4.3 billion kilometers, that is 242 light minutes or just about 4 light hours away. This time of the year is one of my favorite for viewing deep sky objects and a great place to start is with the Southern Cross and work your way up the Milky Way. Or the other way around, to find the Southern Cross, turn away from the ecliptic and just follow the Milky Way all the way to the two-pointers, Alpha and Beta Centauri. We are so lucky here that we can see the Milky Way. There are some great nebulae in it and really beautiful open clusters. In the Southern Cross is one of the most fantastic clusters in the night sky, the Jewel Box cluster, also known as NGC 4755. This little grey cluster has three stars in a line that look a bit like a traffic light, two blue and one red in the middle. The reddish looking star is a red supergiant about 19 times the mass of the Sun. To the right of the Southern Cross is the huge Omega Centauri globular cluster, which at magnitude of 3.7 can be seen by the naked eye. Omega Centauri is the competitor to 47 Tucane globular cluster, which is not located in the Milky Way, but in Tucana, in the south celestial circumpolar part of the sky, along with the Magellanic Clouds. Back to the Milky Way and following up past Alpha Centauri, there is the sting of Scorpius, which is home to the Cat's Paw Nebula, also known as NGC 6334. It's quite faint, but some of the nebula can be seen, astrophotographers will get a lot of detail. Just up the Milky Way from this thing is M7, also known as Ptolemy Cluster. This amazing cluster is visible with the naked eye, but through a reasonable telescope, it's very impressive against the backdrop of the star clouds. The cluster has about 80 stars in it. Towards the horizon from M7 is the other amazing Saturn hemisphere site, the Milky Way Kiwi. Right at the center of the Milky Way, a spectacular bird guards the center of our galaxy. This is the Milky Way Kiwi, a shape made from dark dust within our own galaxy. More than 10 years ago, astrophotographers from New Zealand were taking snapshots of the night sky, one of them looked at the pictures and realized that a dark patch known in the northern hemisphere as the Dark Horse. Being upside down here looked just like a great galactic kiwi bird. But as I realized later while traveling, you either have to be from New Zealand or have friends in New Zealand to even know what a kiwi bird looks like. The Milky Way Kiwi is my absolute favorite object in the sky, and once I saw it with the naked eye from Lake Tekapol in the South Island. And, if you were wondering, the direction of the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy is right on the top of the head of the Milky Way Kiwi, just like a jewel on a crown. Since I talked about my favorite object in the sky, the Milky Way Kiwi, I will also mention my least favorite object in the sky, the moon, because it casts way too much light at night. But hey, people drove on it, so that actually makes the moon very cool, apart from the light situation. The moon here is obviously upside down to the northern hemisphere, and according to New Zealand kids, has a big rabbit inside it. You can see its ears are Mare Fecunditatis and Mare Nectaris, the head is Mare Tranquillitatis, and the tummy is Mare Serenitatis. Behold the rabbit hole at Mare Crisium. Not only that there is this rabbit inside the moon, but the moon itself is to be found on the northern part of the sky as everything else here near the ecliptic in this hemisphere. And facing the ecliptic, East is to the right and West is to the left. That makes the shadows in the morning look like the evening shadows from the other hemisphere and it feels like morning in the evening and evening in the morning until the brain engages back. So, if you ever come visit us, don't let them tell you, it is only jet lag. This concludes our Jotcast for October 2018 from Space Place at Carter Observatory in the Saturn Hemisphere. Thank you to the amazing Sam Leski of Milky Way Kiwi, who contributed to the content. Good night, and have a great October. Thanks
1: for that, Haratina. Now, we've got some feedback.
0: We- uh-